I'm not a person with a lot of hobbies. I don't actually, I'm not one who does have a lot of hobbies, but writing fiction is really incredibly fun. So for me, any day that I don't do a little bit of work, I was in the waiting room waiting to get on this this podcast and was working on a scene because if I if I've got five minutes free, you know, I ought to be writing. Character voice can make or break a manuscript. And a lot of times as writers, we're trying to imitate what we commonly see in the genre. Maybe that means moody, angry or short tempered characters that fit the tone of our work. But it's sometimes interesting to flip the script on readers as a way to create a unique character voice. That's what James Byrne did in his Desmond Limerick novels, and I got the opportunity to ask him about how he develops unique character voices by ignoring common conventions. I'm David Gwynn, an agented writer navigating the world of publishing. During this first season of the Thriller 101 podcast, we're going to focus on building the skills necessary to write the kinds of stories that land you an agent and eventually readers. I'm talking to agents and authors about the best way to write a novel. If you want the expert secrets, this is where you're going to find them. Today's guest is James Byrne, the author of a dozen novels, and most recently, the second novel in his Desmond Limerick series. This newest installment is called Deadlock, and I highly suggest you check it out. James and I talk about so much more than just unique character voice. He also shares the story of why a top editor told him he needed a prologue, and gives us his unique writing process for writing his books really fast. All that, and so much more on this episode of Thriller 101. Let's get straight to it. James, welcome to the interview series. Thanks so much for being here. I am honored. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So your newest novel, Deadlock, which will be out by the time people hear this. So I want to be one of the first people to say congratulations. <laughs> Can you tell us what it's about? Yeah, this is the second book in the Des Limerick series. Limerick is a, is a guy who's retired at age 35 from a military and international military. I don't say which one, although I hinted which one. And he's traveling around the States with a guitar, picking up musical gigs, having fun, enjoying life. A mate calls him and says that her sister's in trouble. Her sister was mugged and is hospitalized in Portland, Oregon. Des being Des, he hops up first flight he can from LA then to Portland to, to be there with her. And they run into a conspiracy that involves the Witness Protection Program, the U.S. Marshal Service, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and this multinational company that's based here in Portland. And again, Des being Des, he gets involved with stuff that ain't none of his business and that's what we have at two. Yeah, I highly recommend people to check out this book. Such a fun read. Really unique voice, Des. And so I do want to talk a little bit about that. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But where did the idea, like like you mentioned, is the second story in, in this in this series. The first one was The Gatekeeper, which came out, I think, last year, right? Correct. Yeah. So where did this idea come from? Did you always know it was going to be a series? A couple of things. Keith Kayla is the editor at St. Martin's Press, and he's kind of a famous editor. He's like probably the best in the business in the mystery thriller realm. And he asked my literary agent, Janet Reed, if I had a first-person male protagonist action adventure novel in my hip pocket. Because grand majority of my other books have been like ensemble protagonists or partner protagonists. Work would have it, I did. I had an idea, so I started working on this for him. And I love the genre. I love Lee Child. I love Greg Hurwitz, Meg Gardner, Mark Graney. All those guys are they're just amazing. But I wanted to be able to say something unique. I wanted my guy to stand out somehow. And it took me the longest time to figure out how to do it. And finally came up with two things. One is making him from the United Kingdom. I thought that would be different. And he has absolutely zero angst. He is not, <laughs> he's not grumpy. He's not mad at the world. He acts against it to be the luckiest bloke on the planet. And he's just... Yeah, in a really good mood. He's not nearly as funny as he thinks he is. He does things that he thinks are hilarious and Americans don't understand. 
Everybody makes fun of his his name, Desmond Aloysius Limerick. It's such an over the top. Sure, I mean he's built like a tank, and he he's really good in a fight. He really knows his way around military endeavors, but he also just is a happy go lucky dude. And I just had not read that before, so I thought. Well, that could be a blast. Yeah, I mean, the voice is the first thing that really, I think, hits. And it feels different than than a lot of stuff that's happening in, in the genre right now in terms of voice. Were you planning always to have multiple books? I mean, are you working on another one? Is, is this something that you imagined when you started? Like, okay, Desmond, I need to create a character who's got multiple acts? Or did you just kind of dive right in with that first book and then really found his voice just kind of lingering? I got super lucky. I, I got this and sent it off to Keith at, at St. Martin's Press Minotaur. And Keith played with it a bit and wanted some changes. He's he's just dead brilliant. He makes me a better writer. It's nice. not true. Every editor, but he does. So I made the changes he wanted. And then they they said, okay, we'll, we'll make a two-book offer for this, which I was over the moon about. So I did that. Then the first book came out, and the sales were strong enough last year. They said, okay, let's do a second two-book contract. So he has book three in his hands now, and that's going to come out in 2024. And I haven't started book four, which comes out in 2025. I'm really excited because I have to tell you, and I've had a dozen books out. This is the most fun character to write. I mean, if I'm smart enough to get out of the way, he writes his own dialogue. If I just shut up and sit down, he's so much fun. So yeah, I, I will write these until Keith and I are, are in a retirement home. <laughs> That's awesome. And I you can see it. I feel like it, it comes across on the page. This like Desmond feels very alive as a character. So let's go back a little bit and, and talk about how you got started writing. Did you always know you wanted to be a writer? Yeah, always. My dad was a huge fan of mysteries and thrillers and, and dad, high school basketball coach would would read stuff and then bring it to us kids and say, you got to read this. High school basketball coaches, that's the voice they all use. <laughs> and so early on I did. And then secondly, I was as I was and am a collector of comic books. Started with Marvel and then DC, and I learned a lot about action and adventure storytelling from what I consider to be the master storytellers of the 20th century, which was comic book writers. So I always knew I wanted to. And so I wrote a book stupidly while I was a student at a community college here in Oregon City, Oregon. And by sheer luck got that one published. So I was 20 when my first book came out. Wow. There were a few of those. And then there was a long down period, a dry period where I couldn't sell hardly anything at all. And then eventually sold Crasher to St. Martin's Press. They did four of my books. Then I did a three book trilogy for a company called Blackstone Publishing. Really, really terrific folks. And that ended in this January. That was the last of those. And then the Des books picked up. So I have two passions in life. And when I was 20 years old, I knew I wanted to be either a journalist or a novelist. And today I am both a working journalist and a novelist. I am the luckiest guy on the planet. And I live in Portland, Oregon, which is like a door of this planet. And I'm married to a woman who's both hot and smarter than I am. So, I mean, it's just like, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. So let me ask you, what what is it you think, obviously you set some goals for yourself in terms of writing. Is there something growing up? Was there a moment that it clicked that you were like, wait, I can do this. Like, this is a thing that I can do. and and now I just need to, to put my butt in the seat and, and get to work on it. Yeah, a couple of things. One is I'm not a person with a lot of hobbies. I don't actually, not one who does have a lot of hobbies, but writing fiction is really incredibly fun. So for me, any day that I don't do a little bit of work, I was in the waiting room waiting to get on this, this podcast and was working on a scene because if, I, if I've got five minutes free, you know, I ought to be writing. The second thing for me was that before I 
did journalism. I was in theater. I did a lot of high school, college, and amateur theater, which really taught me a lot about the blocking and staging of scenes. And then third, I'm a print journalist, and we don't have writer's block in print journalism. We don't call it writer's block. We call it unemployment. Uh, <laughs> we went to the school board meeting and came back and said to your editor, the muse is not with me today. They would simply replace you with a 20-year-old. So anybody who's in journalism who tries fiction writing, we're all really fast. I can write the first draft of a book in three months. It's remarkably faster than a lot of my cohorts. So it's something that's fun to do, something I found I'm good at. And I am my own first reader. I only write stories that are going to entertain me. And if I'm not being entertained, if I get 30 pages into a book, I'm thinking, you know, I, I got to go home and write chapter seven and clean out the cat box and do the laundry. I'm in trouble. And I realized it could become a chore. Stop that book, throw it away, start a new one, because that one just wasn't, just wasn't happening. So what is your, your process like? I mean, like you mentioned, you, you're flying through first drafts in three months. Are, are you somebody who plans or plots or are you just you've got a sense of character and you run with it? First weird thing about me is that I write longhand in a steno pad. And I do that in the mornings, then go do my day job. And then in the evening, I translate it into my computer. So in the morning, I'm using the creative half of my brain to write something. And then in the evening, I use the analytical side of my brain. And I can say right away that day, boy, that worked. That was pretty good stuff. Or, oh my God, what the hell is wrong with me? It was like, crap, this morning is terrible. And so I can do instant analysis and say, no, that was no good. I'm going to get rid of that. It didn't carry the freight it needed to. So that process, that iterative process for me is why I'm, is why I'm pretty fast. I do not do a lot of plotting. I also think in three acts because I'm a theater dude. So I know usually the plot point for act one, and I know the big plot point for act two, and then I don't know how the books end. And so I just, mostly I come up with characters I'm really excited about, and then a scenario that I'm really excited about. And then I'll just see where it takes me. That's really interesting. So I, I want to shift gears slightly. And I want to talk about your literary agent, Janet Reed. I always like to ask authors on here to give their agent a little bit of a shout out people behind the behind the scenes sometimes. So you're up by Janet Reed, which I, which you mentioned and at Jet Reed Literary. So what's so great about working with Janet? Two, about three or four things. But first, a funny story. When I needed to, I'd written Crashers, it was about 2009. And I was looking for literary representation. I started sending off query letters to New York. It, you know, which is a hard thing to do. It's really hard to find a literary agent. So I was firing these things off three a week for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And one of them called me and she said, you're Dana Haynes? Because that's the other name I write under. And I said, yes. And she said, is there any chance that you were the editor of the West Lynn Tidings in West Lynn, Oregon? Because I used to live there and I recognize your name and I hated your paper. Here, I'll look at your manuscript. So that was our introduction. She had moved to New York City, but at one point she'd lived in West Lynn and she'd gotten my stupid little weekly newspaper which she thought was crap. She might not be wrong. <laughs> That's analysis of my paper. And anyway, if anybody tells you that there's no luck involved in the publishing world, they're just lying to you. Luck is a huge factor. In this case, she recognized my name and from the slush said, yeah, I'll look at your manuscript. And it was Crashers. And she had it sold four months later as a two book deal at St. Martin's. And I've been with her ever since. The thing about Janet is, the thing about any literary agent is, is they're, they're much like a lawyer. You don't want a best buddy or a friend. You're looking for somebody you're with, with whom you're in a business contract. She, has a, she and I have a business relationship. She knows everyone. If I write a book, she doesn't say, oh, this is interesting. I should shop it around. She says, you know, there's this one editor at this one house who will really like that. I was with Blackstone Publishing for three books. She said, oh, I have the editor who will love this thing, what you've done. Let me send it to her. And she just has that, that business-like focus. 
we rarely get on the phone to chat and schmooze and say, how's your day? Or what, what about them Yankees? That's not what we do. What we do is she says, here's the three things I need you to do this week. I need you to write a newsletter and think about a short story. And I'm like, I salute smartly. I'm a good soldier. I'll do it. And so she's great. She just knows everyone. She works her tail off. And it's that knowledge base that she's got that I don't. She has a skill set that's not mine. So that's why this business relationship has worked since 2010. And I am fortunate as hell to have her. Hey, I want to take a quick pause there. I hope you're enjoying this episode with James Byrne. I loved how he shared about his background and his unique writing style. In fact, I liked it so much, I gave it a try. But more on that a little bit later. We have so much more to talk about, but I want to pause here because... If you're a querying author, you may have heard that I'm doing a unique pitching contest where you can send in a brief summary of your story in the first 250 to 500 words, and I'm going to put your work in front of agents. So far, more than 10 agents have agreed to review submissions, which means agents were actively looking for a writer just like you. Now, I'm not currently accepting submissions. However, if you want to be notified when submissions open again, be sure to sign up in the link in the description for this episode. In the next part of the interview, James and I will talk about how he came up with the voice for his main character, why he likes using strong female characters, and a lot more about what he thinks about writing. There's a ton of insightful stuff here, so let's get right back to that interview. So let's let's dive into Deadlock here, and let's talk a little bit about character and kind of the, the opening here, the, the introduction or the reintroduction to Dez for people who, who've read the first book. So like I mentioned, one of the first things that struck me with this, with your writing, and especially with, with Dez's character, is just this unique voice, this like playful, happy-go-lucky, like laid back, even in the most tense situations. And I'm wondering, I mean, you mentioned some authors who you've read in this genre who who write characters that are very different than Dez and write are, are kind of like typical of the crime protagonist. So what was it about Dez's voice? Were you searching for it or did you just kind of find it and, and thought like this would be a great voice for this genre? In an earlier draft, he was from Texas. Then he was from New York. He was 25. He was 55. He was an ex-cop. He was an ex-criminal. He had lots of different names. And it was the day that I realized he had a British accent. It clicked. And it's I sometimes think of this as the Rumpelstiltskin effect. You have to have the right name for your character. And I really wanted a name that wasn't, you know, you, you read these this genre. There's a lot of Jacks and Jakes and Dons, you know, and there's a whole bunch of names that, you, that get repeated. And I wanted a name no one else was using. And I came up with this completely over-the-top, ridiculous name, Desmond Aloysius Limerick. And then I realized he was from England. And I thought, well, it'd be sort of fun if he's just talks too much. He's just, he's just loquacious. He just chats and chats and chats and chats until like when police officers are speaking to him. And finally they say, will you shut up? You told me more than I needed to know. So that was the first thing I thought was, just make this guy loquacious. He just, he just blathers. Second thing I wanted to do, I'm going to word this carefully because I'm not sure about your audience. I really wanted a character who, when they have the opportunity for sex with a woman is uncool. He lacks any cool whatsoever. He's instantly 15 years old. And the opportunity to have sex, he's like, oh, that would be great. We all have to out. He's the least cool protagonist around sex I've ever read in one of these things. He's the anti-James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was super fun to do because I just had never seen it before. And all told, once I had the name and I had that he was English and I had that he was loquacious, then the voice came like fast. Mm. And so is that is that something that happened 
during a first draft? Like, like you mentioned, you you write that first draft pretty quickly. I mean, is that something that you just had a couple false starts until you found the voice and then it ran, or is that something you're you're kind of backtracking and then filling in? Yeah, I did drafts when he was other guys, including la- pretty laconic guys and pretty angsty guys, and I kept thinking. Yeah, you know, I got to be honest with you. Mark Graney's doing this better than I am. Petri, Nick Petri does this better than I do. Greg Kerwitz does this better than I do. I can't do what they do, and I'm not better than them in that. So I got to, this guy's got to be different. And so once I figured out that voice, and it was like in a very, very early draft of, it was the very first time we meet Des in modern time, and he's in Los Angeles, and he foils a kidnapping. That was the first scene I ever wrote. And I thought, boy, this guy's a lot of fun. This is great. I want to see what happens next. And then there was a scene where he was talking to the police officers and he was just, they couldn't get him to shut up. He visits a lot of interrogation rooms in these books because that's his lifestyle. And then, boy, it, it started to flow really fast from that scene on. I'm wondering about the opening scene here, your, your prologue, where you kind of introduce us to Desmond in Deadlock, or like I mentioned, reintroduce us if, if we've read the, the first novel. What was your goal with that scene? I mean, was it a mixture of action, voice, plot, backstory? Like, What what were you thinking about as you were using that prologue to bring readers into the story? Very funny story. Keith Kayla read the first draft of Deadlock and then said to me, hey, I think you need a prologue back in his military days. And I was like, I've never had an editor who told me they want a prologue. I've only had editors who nixed my prologue. I said, really? Yeah, I think you do. So I said, I'll do that. So having done one for the first book, I made the decision to do one for the second book out of a sense of continuity. And then that helped me establish kind of one of my rhythms that I'm going to have in these books, which is in book A, we're introduced to a character who has a pivotal plot point in book B. So in book A, we we meet the, the young musician, the singer-songwriter for whom he goes up to Portland to re- rescue the sister. We also meet in that prologue, a British spy. He's going to run into her later in this book and then in book three as well. So I'm using the, I'm using characters I've introduced to leapfrog the stories. You don't have to read them in order, but it doesn't hurt to read them in order. There were a couple of things I need to establish in this prologue with the assumption that you had not read the first book. So I want to establish that he has this military background that he has this technological background. He is a breach expert. He's the guy who can open any door for his unit, keep it open as long as necessary and control who does and does not go through it. That's that's what a gatekeeper is in this fictional realm I've created. He's a breach expert. So I need to, wanted to establish that. Third, I want to establish that he's a jackass. That he just does, he, he will make fun of authority and, and rip on people if he thinks they need to be ripped upon. And that he is capable of making very decisive decisions. And he, when necessary, he can be ruthless. Not a... He's not angsty, but he's capable of being ruthless, which was a weird juxtaposition had. So those are the things I need. I thought I felt I really needed to establish in this one. I have written a prologue for the third book as well, and I'm hoping against hope that it does the same thing. It sets up who he is so I can move him into modern times. Yeah, I thought it was such an interesting... I thought it was just a well-done move and one that I think, like you mentioned, you know, brings readers in. If you didn't read the first novel, you're right in with Des. It doesn't really matter. You get to understand his character. You know a lot about him. And it's like a really fun action sequence. And I think as readers, if you're thinking about picking up this book, if you're listening right now and you're like, this sounds like my kind of thing, like pick it up, read the prologue. You will immediately fall in love with this character and the story and you will just you'll want to just keep reading so yeah I, I can't speak highly enough about it it's funny it, you mentioned about the prologues which is kind of why i wanted to ask because prologues are this really hit or miss 
thing. And I think when done well, it, it serves a function and it has to serve a function. Otherwise it's, it's cut. But I think it's just, so I, that's why I had to ask about the prologue. I was like, where was that decision happening along the way? <laughs> Keith is brilliant. Keith said, we need to know a lot about Des before he does that kidnapping scene in, in act one. I need, we folks need to know why, why he's as good as he is in that scene. So that's why Keith wanted that. And he's just dead brilliant. And the other thing that allowed me to do is I'm pretty sure you've noticed is I have a lot of strong female protagonists and both of the prologues allowed me to bring a female protagonist into the four and establish that. One of the things I did in the first book, The Gatekeeper, was there's this woman named Petra Alexandris and she's the chief legal counsel for a multinational and Des rescues her in act one, but Petra rescues Petra in act three. I needed her to save her company and her own skin because I, it just, it felt wrong for her to be a damsel in distress. And the, there's a little of that going on in, in book two. There's a, several female protagonists. Des does rescue a few people, but there are people who rescue him as well. Uh, so that's one of those things I wanted to establish early on was that the presence of, of female protagonists. Yeah, and I, I'm curious a little bit about that. I know, like you mentioned, you write these like strong female characters in your novel. And, and for a genre that is largely read by, by men, or like that kind of action crime genre, I'm I'm curious why I think it works and I think it's beautifully done. And I think it's something that Desmond's character plays off really well because he's not this like hyper masculine macho guy. And so I'm curious where along the process where you were like, I need stronger female characters. I need, you know, women who maybe read this book, see themselves as, as the heroes of, of them, of their own stories. I think it's really interesting and something I don't always, we don't always see in crime fiction, I'm curious where that process happened for you. The strong female protagonists have been in all of my books. So I write that to begin with. And I had some books at St. Martin's earlier in which the primary protagonist was a woman. So I have written female protagonists as, as well. And for me, it was, and you really touched on it well, I wanted this guy to be big and strong and really good in a fight and really knows his way around military situations, but I didn't want any kind of toxic masculinity because as a reader, that turns me off really fast. And so pitting him with women who more than hold their own, let me, it's a little bit like cooking. And sometimes when you're making something savory and you add sugar to it, sugar doesn't make it sweeter. It makes all the savory stuff work better. The strong females leaven what could be a little bit toxic about his abilities in his fight and his physical strength. So that's, that's why it just works so well for me. Yeah, that's cool. So my, my last question for you is just where can people find you? Where can people look you up? James Byrne Thriller, and Byrne is B-Y-R-N-E, jamesburnthriller.com. And I'm also on the the Minotaur, St. Martin's, and Macmillan websites as well. And I'm so glad to be with them. They're just an awesome company, great, great people to work with, and just I'm blessed. And if you're listening and you want to check out more of, of James's stuff, I'll link to his website so you have quick access to it in, in the notes for this for this episode. So James, this has been awesome. I've had so much fun. I, I really learned a lot and and I can't stress enough. People got to go check out Deadlock. This is a, a, just a great, great story. So thanks so much for being here. This was way fun. Thank you so much. So how can we as writers flip the conventions of the genre in a way that makes our story unique? Can you change the voice of a character or the setting? For this week's 5-Minute Writer, I tried James's writing routine for a week. I'll share what I loved about it and what I didn't. If you haven't signed up for 5-Minute Writer yet or don't know what it is, 
It's a series I do where I share fast writing advice that takes about five minutes to consume and will help you improve as a writer. There's a link in the description of this episode to sign up. Also down there, there's a link to sign up to be notified when submissions reopen for the agent pitch contest. Don't miss this special opportunity. Next week is our first agent episode. What I want to see in a manuscript a lot of the time is some sort of balance. It, it can be balance between action and character building. It can be the, the balance between dialogue and tone, but there has to be something. It can't just be flat. So be sure to check that out. You won't want to miss it because someone's getting a full request. I'll see you next week.